1: Hi, this is Austin Real Estate Investing. This is Jordan Moorhead. Today, I have Jeff McKee on here, and he's going to tell us all about his experience in the Austin area with real estate investing. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Good, good. How's it going, Jordan? Doing great. Uh, I know you survived this winter storm we had here last week, so we are recording this on the 26th of February, 2021. Um, We just went through an very odd time for Austin. We had a winter storm where we had snow and ice and all sorts of winter troubles that Austin's just not used to. And glad we're out of it now. Yeah, yeah. The polar vortex hit us hard here in Austin. It usually doesn't, too. So it's a funny thing that it got all the way down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I lived in Michigan for a little while, so we're used to that. But uh, yeah, this this uh, area of the country isn't super
1: prepared for uh, some of these harsh storms that come through occasionally. No, you know, that's part of the reason I love Austin is, you know, no matter what, it's usually pretty warm out. And it's a big surprise to get a polar vortex here. Yeah, exactly. So, Jeff, you know, could you tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you're involved with the Austin real estate investing area? You bet, you bet, yeah. So I work for a technology company, so uh, been in high tech
0: for about 30 years, and then uh, it was around, uh, you know, uh, 2016 that I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I started getting involved here in Austin with a uh, kind of a single family group, uh, education mentoring group, um, and so we started on the single family side, and then we uh, we did the buy and hold strategy. So we bought a duplex in Waco outside of Austin because uh, my wife. Um, son and I all went to Baylor. So we did that. Oh, cool. Then locally, we did a flip in East Austin with a partner. So that's one of the things I encourage people It's just a partner up. We did a real simple, um, you know, joint venture agreement on this one house. So it's a single, you know, JV agreement with one house. We had the money. Our partner had the experience. So you want to align with people that, that you have maybe uh, different skill sets. So mm-hmm. she had flipped a lot of houses in East Austin. We hadn't. We had money. She needed some capital. So we financed the whole thing. Um, and so we uh, we did uh, really well with that. And then also with the single, single family group, we learned about the homestead strategy, which I guess I was aware of. I just hadn't implemented it. So we ended up buying a lot here in South Austin in the Zilker Park neighborhood. Um, From a wholesaler, it came on the market the same day it came on. I knew it was a great deal, put the deposit down, locked up the property. We ended up building two houses on this lot, and uh, we moved into the main house in July of 20. And then um, the back house is an accessory dwelling unit, 1,100 square feet is as big as they can be, two bedroom, two bath. And then that's an approved short-term rental in the city of Austin because we live on the lot. And so that my wife manages that as an Airbnb. So that was all the single family stuff we've been doing uh kind of locally. I've also lent money um, as a hard money lender locally. And I've also invested in a hard money fund that um, helps uh, flippers here in Austin. So uh, I'm still an investor in that fund. So those are all the things that, that we did early on. Then eventually I started
1: doing more stuff in apartment investing. Awesome. So yeah, you've had a fairly full four years here too. So I started around the same time. I started in December of 2016. Um, but yeah, no, you've, you've done the flip in East Austin, which you, you basically funded that, but we're part of that project. And I think a lot of people fail to see all the benefits of doing that because there's so many ways you can get involved and learn so much. And, you know, I'm sure you still made some money too doing that. Yeah, yeah. So the numbers were were like, we
0: paid 250000 for a wholesaler. This house had gone to probate. There were multiple people involved um, that you know, basically needed to get paid off. So we we basically paid 250000 So we, we financed that. Then the rehab was another 70000 $70, Now, yep. the reason it was, I don't know if you would call that expensive, but one thing that investors sometimes shy away from, especially in Texas, are the foundation issues. So this yep. was a known foundation issue house. Um, some investors said, geez, I'm not dealing with foundation, just like they don't deal with mold. But then there's other investors, like our partner was very familiar with the foundation. She actually lives in the same neighborhood as this flip. She knows all about it. She's done it many times. She has a, you know, a company that provided a bid, uh, and it was like 15K to do the foundation. And we actually went in there while they're in the middle of doing the foundation repairs. Now, one minor thing that came up during that is it was off by so much when the foundation got adjusted, the roof buckled more than we expected. So that was like an extra 2000 to redo that section of the roof. It was pretty, pretty minor. So mm-hmm. paid 250, dollars 70000 all in. Um, so we're, we're in at three twenty, and we sold at four twenty. Um, nice. And so after all the holding costs, after all the, all of that, we basically had a net, profit before taxes of 40,000. Our partner got 20,000. And then we had created an LLC. And so our LLC got 20,000. Then that 20,000 gain is a short-term gain, which is a whole other topic about the pros and cons of flipping. Um, And so we actually offset that gain with some expenses that our LLC incurred around the education expense of this kind of single family mentoring group here in Austin. So there's some things that you can do, but, you know, it's partnering, um, you know, getting with the experienced people, you know, having a bit of capital or partnering with people with capital. So there's yeah.
1: all those things that we learned, you know, through the process. Yeah. And you talked about, you know, not being scared of certain issues that scare people. So I did mold remediation in college and I I learned all about mold by tearing a lot of it out cleaning a lot of it up. I'm not really scared of mold, but you know, you talked about foundation issues too. There's tons of foundation issues around town here. Um, some of them are big. Some of them really aren't. And Even the one you did where you had to adjust it so much that it buckled the roof a little bit, you clearly were able to fix that relatively cheaply. Two grand didn't do bad.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just where the, the seam met on the the roof that it buckled so much we had to have that section repaired. But, mm-hmm. yeah, in the big scheme of things, you know, it was, it was pretty minor. Um, you know, there was some some sewage pipe uh, issues in the main line to the yeah. street that came up and, you know, replacing the hot water heater we had anticipated. So we had contingency of like 10%, you know, on yeah. that. So we ate through some of that 7,000, a contingency on the on the 70,000. But those are the kind of things that you factor in when you're looking at, you know, what's the after repair value? What are the, the cost estimates getting bids ahead of time? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so you you kind of expect some of the unexpected, but you also have maybe enough yeah. experience among the team members that you mm-hmm. can mitigate some
1: of that risk. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about something I think it's really important. You know, you need to have a little budget there for contingency. Um, People are going to bid what they can see. And like you said, other things could come up. So you could have sewer line issues. You could have roof issues. You could have water heater issues. There's all sorts of stuff. The water heater might be working right now, but six months into the job or six months into the hold, it might not be. Nobody, something I think a lot of people fail to see is nobody replaces their water heater furnace or air conditioner until it goes out yeah you know so you're not going to run into something where oh it was 10 years old as a water heater so we just replaced it I would never do that right I just had a water heater go out and it was over the weekend unfortunately we couldn't get a plumber in real quickly but you know we got one in a couple days later and of course the tenants were upset but Yeah, I'm not going to replace it. It was 21 years old. Yeah. I'm not going to replace it until it breaks, which it did. And we replaced it as soon as we could. Exactly. Exactly. So you always have a contingency budget in there when you're doing renovations. I think 10% is a good place to be. Yeah. Stuff is going to come up. It always does. I've never had a project that didn't have more come up.
0: Right, right. And then especially the longer the project is, like if you're doing new construction, you know, there's some mm-hmm. variables like the, the the price of material, like what's going on with lumber and what's yeah. going on with, with governments and, and uh, you know, some of the, the tariffs and things that get added as well as just supply and demand. So uh, mm-hmm. you may have, you know like the tankless hot water heater spike because of, you know, the recent cold snap and everybody's having to replace their external hot water heaters. And and so then all of a sudden the parts become more expensive. And so you need some of that buffer, some of that contingency, uh, whether it's that or whether it's labor shortage and then the price of labor goes up more than you forecasted. Um, and so the longer the project is, the more you have to factor in some of that contingency. So the flip was a fairly short, you know, it was like a four-month flip because we did the oh, foundation. Nice. So it wasn't super long. But like the the build uh, on the house that we're in now in South Austin, that was like an 18-month
1: project. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah, those can take a while. And then something like COVID happens too, and all the supply chain gets shut down and slowed down and prices jump up and it takes way longer to get anything. Try getting get the stove delivered the next day right now. It, yeah. Typically it takes a few weeks because the supply chain's so messed up.
0: Exactly. Yeah, all the interruption in uh, in all the shipping that's been going on around the U.S. because of
1: the storm. Yeah, the storm, COVID, all sorts of stuff. So you said you do some short-term rental right now too. We haven't talked about that a lot on this podcast. Uh, what has been your experience with short-term rentals during COVID?
0: You know, we I don't know if you call it fortunate, but um, I know the short term rental folks here in Austin took a pretty big hit about a year ago um, in February of 2020, March of 2020, because we were watching it because our house wasn't ready yet. Um, And so then the house was ready in July, but then you have to submit to the city of Austin a short-term rental application that takes them many weeks to review and approve. And So when we finally got that application approved and we could technically have short-term renters in there, it was probably October 1st of 2020. And then from October 1st, we were already kind of coming out of some of the COVID issues where people didn't want to stay in hotels. They wanted to be close to a city like here in South Austin. Um, But they actually wanted to be away from other people. And so having a separate house with its own entrance, you know, uh, was in high demand. So we probably had 95% occupancy in that since October. So we, you know, and this is a a fairly high average daily rate. Like during the week, we rent it out for 200 a night and the weekend it's 275 a night. So even, but it's a brand new house, right? It's everything's new and, you know, and it's fully fenced and, you know, we allow pets. We're fairly flexible on stuff like that. Um, but uh, but so, yeah, we've been pretty fortunate. And then we became super host, which is having like um, 10 five star reviews uh, in a row. Then you can uh, get super host and then you get like a higher, uh, higher ranking. Um, so so we've been fortunate that that may not be the same, obviously, with all the, the short term rental people. Like if people are doing short term rental on a high rise, maybe in downtown Austin, they could mm-hmm. be uh, more difficult because. Some people don't want to press the button from the garage to the, the main floor, from the main floor up to the, the unit and, and deal with a lot of people in, in a, a tightly confined area. And then if not, a lot of things are open downtown. Um, you know, the short-term rental downtown probably took a little bit of a hit. Um, yep. Out here a little bit further um, and in a whole house, it seems to be doing
1: pretty well. That's awesome. So you mentioned the short-term rental license here too. I know a lot of people think, oh, Airbnb, great idea in Austin. Um, there's obviously some some hoops to jump through to get that done. Can you talk about what you had to do there? I know it's not a lot when you live there. But yeah. So basically, I think it was
0: 2016 or 2017, um, Austin, the city of Austin, outlawed, um, basically made it illegal to have a house um, or a residence that you're renting out as a short-term rental, which is 28 days or less, mm-hmm. uh, unless you live on the property. All yeah. right. And so there were like 10,000, um, Airbnb listings at one time, 2016, 2017, they felt as though a thousand of the 10,000 were actually people that lived on site. So they made it a requirement. There was a grandfather period for a short period of time. So then what happened was a lot of people like, let's say around South Congress, super popular area, yeah. I have a buddy, he and his brother own two houses that were short-term rental. Well, they had to oh. flip them to long-term rental because they didn't live on the property. And so mm-hmm. and so, because we, we, we know the regulations, we were able to build this accessory dwelling unit guest house in the back. Um, and then we applied and, and as it our our homestead, then they verified this as our homestead. So then they approved us. And so then you pay like a $500 a year fee to the city of Austin to basically have your short-term rental application and your, your, so you're, you're legal with them. And then you also have to pay like a, a 10% hotel tax on all of those rentals mm-hmm. that are 28 days or less. Now, If someone stayed for 30 days, uh, 60 days, um, then that doesn't uh, apply on the 10% um, uh, hotel occupancy tax. It's just if it's 28 days or less, which in in many cases, but we've had people stay here for five and six weeks at a time. And it's not just your normal two night, three night. We've had people stay coming from California, from New York, from other parts of Texas, and, and they just stayed for a long time. So we've been pretty fortunate. So um, And then there's other rules uh, from an IRS perspective around if you can count those hours managing your short-term rental towards your real estate professional license. There's different rules around that. But the, the city of Austin is basically a $500 a year annual fee. You have to live um, on the property. Um, and, uh, and then you have to pay the 10% uh, quarterly um, of the revenues um, as a, a hotel
1: occupancy tax. You have to pay the city. Yeah, so anybody listening you need to take that into account when you're thinking Airbnb. So, you know, like Jeff's saying here, if you live on the property, it's fairly easy to get an, a short-term rental license and it can be profitable, but count that 10% hotel tax and count that $500 yearly fee and just make sure it's gonna work. The same way you'd make sure a long-term rental is gonna work.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then there's other, if people are wanting to invest in the city of Austin and they don't live on the property, then there's also a, a market called medium term rentals, mm-hmm. right, which are more than 30 days. So 30 days or more and say less than a year as medium term. Like uh, an example is a uh, like a website you can go to called Furn- Furnish Finders. So Furnish Finders are for like, say, traveling nurses. The nurses usually have 13 week assignments and maybe they're coming to, to Dell Children or whatever. They're coming to Austin for 13 weeks. Well, then they look at sites like Furnish Finder and they look at Copa is another popular medium term rental site. Um, And and so that's another way people can invest in the city of Austin um, but not uh, and and have it not qualify as a short-term rental. But they could do medium-term rental, and those rates are higher than the annual rental that you would normally get for a 12-month lease. So that's another angle that we were going to go if we ran into a hiccup with the city of Austin on the short-term rental application. Our
1: backup plan was to go the medium-term rental. Yeah, corporate housing by owner is another cool one. Okay. A lot of of cool... That's uh, something I like to do, and I've done in the past, is medium-term rentals, not not because of the ten percent tax, but more because of that it's easier to manage those people. They really live there for a month or two, and you know they act as if it's just their their house they're living in.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's been a good experience for us, you know, meeting other uh, people from different parts of the country and stuff. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, during COVID, they appreciate you know having everything separate. They have their own carport, their own you know kind of sidewalk and entrance and so it can be a very private for them Um, and then they're just in walking distance Zilker Park and all the cool things we have around
1: here. Yeah and like you mentioned we have so many people moving here from California or New York that that really need somewhere to hang out and stay for a few months while they find their place to live and and really when they get to know the city so you can capitalize on that if you're doing it right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and then speaking of uh, you know just the Austin market and how hot it is, one of the couples that stayed here was from San Francisco. They had sold their house in San Francisco, traveling around the U.S. They had been to multiple states before Austin, and then they liked Austin so much and staying around here that after their six weeks was up with us, they they went to another rental on on uh, Lake Travis. But then they put in an offer on a house somewhere over here and it was a, a million dollar listing you know California people that's nothing so they put in an yeah. offer for a million they said that the, the agent called them back two days later that was the first weekend it was open and they had three offers at 1.2 million from other people and they weren't willing to raise their you know their offer from a million to 1.2 or 1.3 but anyway so they just had uh, you know it's just crazy times in Austin on some of the single family homes. Um, and then they said, "Yeah, then it starts to get more like the San Francisco prices a little bit when you know the 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 um, asking price and then you know the actual
1: offers are twenty to thirty uh, percent above the list." Yeah, twenty to thirty percent above the list, and then you've got to waive the appraisal, and then you have to have a really short auction period. It's just gotten very competitive. There's ways to win, but right. you know you've got to be willing to take yeah. that leap. And
0: then I think the owner lease back too. So some of the people, because yep. there, there aren't that many places for people to go if they do sell their house. So they want a 14 day or a month, a one month lease back, you know, yep. in addition to the, you know, uh, the quick close.
1: That's actually helped us win a few. Um, we, yeah. we allowed a guy to stay 30 days in the house for a dollar. Yeah. And he loved that. He was, he took our offer, which was 25 grand less The next highest offer because he could just stay there and he didn't have to pay anything, yeah. He didn't even have to pay the utility, so he really liked it. Um, it saved my buyer 25 grand, so it came, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 for sure. And that you got to be flexible and creative in these kind of times when you know the the months
1: of supply are getting to be less than a month, you know. 0.4 months right now is the most recent, that's crazy, and less than two weeks now. It's yeah, it's pretty tight, but. And I keep saying this over and over. People are probably getting tired of hearing me say it. The number of houses being sold is actually up quite a lot. So while there's not a lot for sale at any certain time, the number sold is up year over year quite a lot. Yeah, so almost forty yeah. percent compared to last year. So yeah, right. they're they're being sold. They're just being sold very quickly and over asking price. Yeah, the, right. the dollar volume is another metric that's up a tremendous amount.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the houses that we built was part of that homestead strategy. So we need to stay in the main house for at least two years. You have to be in it two of five years for to catch yeah. your homestead and you get the 500,000 exclusion. So we're on track with that for like, uh, you know, July of 22. Then the back house, I mean, after one year and a day, it can be considered a long term capital gain because it's an investment property. I yep. doubt we're going to sell it this summer. We're probably just going to sell them as a package deal. But we mm-hmm. did the whole, we paid extra to run separate utilities to the back house so it can be oh, sold cool. separately. Then we just went through the condo regime where we yep. re and redid the survey. So they're technically two different pieces of property so that yeah. we could get debt and, and the right leverage on each one of those. So, mm-hmm.
1: uh, so that's some of the stuff we've been doing. Awesome. So I really like that. So you took one lot. And technically, you turned, while you're in it, you turn the back part of it into income generating to make your, your monthly payment a lot less. And now yep. you've separated them to the point where you can sell off in a year. You can sell off the back house, keep living in the front house and profit from that. And then a year later, sell off the front house and have all that tax free money. Exactly. And then the back house, you have different options.
0: You know, you have the 1031 exchange where it's tax deferred if you roll it into another asset, another piece of real estate, for example. So we could go down that path, but we've also talked to our CPA and he's going, well, you know, with the, the cost segregation and bonus depreciation tax benefits we have today, yeah. sometimes it's better just to take that tax hit, invest it in some other property that you get depreciation from, and you can offset that right away without doing the 1031 tax deferred exchange. So we haven't decided what we're going to do. But, you know, the, the the cost segregation bonus depreciation starts phasing out in 2023. It goes to mm-hmm. 80% and then 60%. Um, so it's still, you know, in effect for all of 2021, all of 2022. And so we'll mm-hmm. wait and see on what we do with the investment house.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a great strategy. You just took somewhere you had to live and made it into a, a bunch of different options for you. And I, I really like that. I think everybody can use their homestead as a, a form of an investment. So, exactly. exactly. You're doing technically the house hacking strategy, you're also doing the live in, you know, live in for two years, pay no taxes strategy. So, kind of like a live in flip. Yep. Almost because the market's so crazy right now. Yeah. Um, and then you're right. also doing the development strategy where you buy a lot and you make two houses on that lot. You've done yeah. a lot of different stuff with
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: pretty wild that we're actually developers.
0: You know, we had the big sign out front during construction. And so it had <laughs> us as the developer and then with builder and architect, interior designer. And we're looking at doing the same thing again, you know, because mm-hmm. it takes so long to do this. Yeah. That we're in the process now of evaluating houses and lots in in our same Zilker area, but instead of five hundred thousand, it may cost us eight hundred thousand or nine hundred to go buy that teardown and yeah. then do this whole thing again because it takes a while for the city to give you the permit to allow the teardown or for someone to take the house off the lot and relocate it. There's all that stuff, but the lead time is so long that we're we're basically like um, you know eighteen months away. From selling these two houses, and it takes that long to build two two more houses somewhere yeah.
1: else around the corner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I really like that too because at the same time, you're you're improving the neighborhood. You're building nice new houses in the neighborhood. And I live in East Austin, and so much contrast between the the brand new house here and the the 40s or 50s house here. And you know, somebody comes in and buys this 40s house and and raises it and puts two new. 2021 build houses there, and the the neighborhood just has a whole different feel after you do that. Yeah, that's a whole other rabbit hole that we won't go down. Yeah, Um, yeah.
0: yeah. This was a 1945 bungalow with the roof caving in. Easily the worst house in this whole neighborhood. The gentleman had passed away without a will. Eventually, the wholesaler stepped in, and and anyway, so it was it was easily the worst house in the neighborhood. And uh, and now you got some really nice looking, you know, basically uh, modern. Um, you know, urban farmhouse looking homes right here, you know, with the nice metal
1: roofs and all that kind of stuff, you know, that they look really cool. So you you mentioned something else about a hard money lending fund too. Could you talk a little yeah. bit about what that is and what that does and, and how you're involved with it?
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's called Hornet Capital. They're um okay. uh they're based here in Austin. They basically uh lend uh money out to uh to those people doing fix and flips. They do some of their own. Um, and then there's two uh class of shares. There's an A class, which is Basically, uh, a flat return of like eight percent, and then there's a B share class, which is a variable return, but you also have more upside. And so, uh, so yeah, you know, Horna Capital is is one of the companies here in Austin that uh, you know we've had good success with um, nice. uh, on that investment. And then, you know, I've invested separately in a self directed IRA, and and you basically um, will help another flipper fund the whole thing, the purchase of the house and all the renovations. And then you can structure it however you want. You could you could do points, you could do interest only paid at closing, all different ways, depending on, on what you want to have happen. But,
1: you know, so we've done uh, we've done both. Awesome, that's really cool. Yeah, and also a great great way to get money for flipping, if you've got a project like that, or if you have a real weird creative project that needs to be picked up and renovated and refinanced, hard money lending is a great way to go. It sounds like Corner Capital is a great one to reach out to. Yeah, 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 for sure. Just understand what you're doing when you're taking out those loans, because like Jeff said, there's points. The interest is typically a bit higher than what you're going to get on a long-term loan. Yeah. Um, And if you mess up and take too long, they can absolutely take that property from you.
0: Yeah, and then you can also structure the agreement to where if you think the flip's going to take six months, that if if you miss the six months, that each month after that you might pay a little bit of of a, of a point. So like um you know we had it if you miss the six month, um, then you basically owe another one percentage point on the original loan for the next sixty days, and you could do another point for the next sixty days. There's ways to structure it so that you don't as a a borrower that you don't go into default. But obviously if it stretches along like two times what the original timeline was,
1: then you could reach the point of being in default even if you, yeah. you know, you eat up your extensions. Yeah, I've seen a lot of those where you know the the proposed term is six months, but they've got up until 12 to get it done just with penalties. Yeah. And yeah, they can be great. Absolutely can be a great way to fund projects you've got that are a little more creative, but right. You just need to understand what you're getting into. Yeah. So, Jeff, um, why do you choose to keep investing in Austin? I know it's so hot. Everything's crazy. Um, yeah. you know, you're finding ways to do it. And I think yeah. that that's an important thing, too. But I just want to hear it in your words. Why do you choose to invest here?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, like if you look at the research on on capital cities because of the the government that that we have in capital cities across the US, there isn't as much of a a huge uh, spike in terms of of unemployment um, and things like that. So it's a little bit more even. So the city of Austin generally is a, a good place to invest. Then obviously, as a lot of the the listeners have heard, you know, you got the Samsung expansion. You have got you know the Cybertruck factory with Tesla. Mm-hmm. You have got the Oracle relocating, you know, headquarters. They've already built you know big buildings along you know Riverside over there. Um, you've got Apple expanding, you know, five, fifteen thousand employees. And actually, our daughter is one of their new employees, so <laughs> she's working on Siri as a Spanish translator to make awesome. Siri better. And so she got hired by Apple a couple months ago. She works out of the house here with us in South Austin. Um, and so just massive amount of um, employers. And then those uh, big employers have, uh, I think, you know, like for every job that, you know, an Apple, a Samsung, an Oracle, a Tesla create, there's like eight other jobs that come yeah. with that. So it's not it's not just those primary jobs. It's all the other jobs that support. And so I think, you know, just the, the job growth in the city of Austin and surrounding areas is is, is just huge along with the stability of, of University of Texas of with the, the, the state government certainly helps Austin um, you know, keep from the highs and the lows.
1: Hey, guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Yeah. No, and I I think you brought up two great points I want to talk about. So the one is you say for the one job, there's eight jobs. People don't talk about that a lot of times So they say, oh, you know, Tesla is going to create 500 jobs here. Yeah, but that actually creates several thousand other jobs that have to support that company and support those employees and and help all those people. It's it's not just those jobs coming in. And then you you talked a lot about you know, what the growth in Austin and what you're doing. And I think I hear from a lot of people, oh, well, investing doesn't work in Austin. And absolutely not. That's just the investing you're trying to do might be really hard in Austin. But there's always other options. You So flipping or developing can work great. Flipping might be a little hard, but developing can work phenomenally. You know, doing what you've done, there's lots of people looking to buy nice houses. In nice areas, and if you can build a nice product and sell it, there's a huge amount of buyers for that. So yeah. you're developing, you're in a great spot. If you're trying to buy single-family rentals that are going to cash flow, probably not the best spot. But yeah, there's not a there's not only one way to invest in real estate. And I think a lot of times people say, "Well, you know, this just doesn't work in my market." And it's like, nope, that one little sector you're talking about may not work very easily in your market, but something like House hacking works really well in Austin because, you know, even what you're doing, I would call house hacking. And you can yeah. save a ton of money to live in a phenomenal location that you really enjoy and also have a lot of upside on the other end. Yeah. You no, know, but yeah. 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 You can't just say, oh, this one thing doesn't work. It right. And then the classic
0: house hacking is what our son is about to do. So he's got an, an offer in on a four flex nice. at just south of us. So he's going to live in in one of the four and rent out the other three that are already rented out. He's buying yeah. it for another investor. Um, and and so then, you know, and then you'll get the FHA loan, three and a half percent down, stay in it for a year. Then, you know, he could just bring another renter in and then go do that again somewhere else. So anyway, there's the classic house hacking of a duplex or a fourplex. And then there's the, the homestead strategy and the, the kind of the live-in flip, like what you're talking about. So depending on someone's personal situation, they might need to be in a great school district somewhere yeah. else. But there, there could be the situation where, you know, they want to maybe move into EANS uh, ISD And because of the way the homestead strategy works, you can pay a little bit more when you're going to live in that property than if you're truly a flip investor where it's 70%, you know, of the after repair value, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so you can pay a little bit more if it's going to be your homestead. If you have that flexibility, Mm -hmm. then you can live in it two or five years and then you get that 500000 exclusion of taxes as a couple. So that's just another strategy people could
1: look into if they want to be a little bit more aggressive on how they do their homestead. Absolutely. There's a right strategy for every market and every person and that will fit your assets and your your resources really well. But um don't don't just be so close minded that you're only looking at one thing that you heard on a podcast from 2014 and you know say, Oh, well, I heard this on this podcast and I can't do this here. Yep. Yeah, but find people in your local market like you that are doing stuff and making it work and like your son and I, which are house hacking multifamily property. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a strategy that's going to work in your market. I know people in, in Denver and San Francisco that are adding other units to basements of houses and they're making that work great. Yeah. Everybody you talk to would say you can't invest in San Francisco, but I know people that are.
0: Yeah. 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 I've got a, a cousin that lives in San Francisco, same apartment building for 20 years and the landlord is, is basically building a basement to add two more units. So she's displaced for like a year while they're doing that, you know, and so they're just going down instead of going up. And so yeah, certain markets,
1: you know, you can do that. I hadn't heard that one. But yeah, there's yeah. always a strategy that works. So yeah. yeah, don't be so set on one strategy. I think my advice for people is don't be set on one strategy that you ignore everything that may be working in your local market. But once you pick something that's interesting to you that it sounds good, you know, stick with that strategy and push forward until you make it work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, Jeff, um, you said you were in the tech industry for quite a while. What attracted you to real estate investing?
0: You know, I think it was you know, reading Rich Dad Poor Dad. You know, <laughs> it's the whole multiple streams of income is mm-hmm. is what you know we've been trying to develop is um, is not just having you know one or two W two income jobs. But, but really trying to have this passive income, the mailbox money come in. And so then we did the single family thing for a period of time here in Austin. Then we, we also migrated over to multifamily in terms of apartment syndication. So then we, we joined a, a couple of different groups in Texas over the last couple of years, where we've invested as limited partners in deals in Dallas and San Antonio, obviously looking in Austin as well to find a deal. And then uh, we've been um, becoming more active. And so we've been lead general partners on uh, on five deals in the last oh, few wow. months. Yeah. So we've closed a deal in Arkansas in December, closed a deal in Alabama last month. And then we have deals that were about to close in Lubbock, Lafayette, Louisiana, and in North Carolina. And so we've been more active on that to create those multiple streams of income um, and, and just uh, have that, that set up. Um, and so my wife, you know, quit her paralegal job last year to focus on real estate. Initially it's been the short-term rentals, but she's also been going out to some of these big apartment complexes that we're part of and doing the due diligence on site, walking the units with our teams there. And so she's had the flexibility to to go do that as well as, you know, meet with brokers and go uh, walk prospective apartment complexes that we're looking at buying.
1: Awesome. So your whole family's in
0: the game now. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, our daughter's focused on Apple. Our other son is focused on his job but he's come to some real estate conferences with us but we've got yeah. a one son who is uh who's a consultant and uh and so he's been uh you know doing a lot of the underwriting and uh, some of the asset management talking to the property management companies weekly on the deals that we've already closed on uh and so he's been uh getting involved in in that part of the business too he's got a real estate background he actually uh did an internship uh, with Gina Rant uh, and Keller Williams you know up in Steiner Ranch uh, several years ago um, but he got a, a real estate degree uh, from Baylor, and then he got to know Gary um, Gary Keller, and so then Gary hooked him up with Gene to do a stint on the real estate um, uh, internship side up there. And so he's got the bug, and then he's been focused on commercial real estate lately, but also doing the fourplex in South Austin. Yeah,
1: yeah, and you know, I I also am a big fan of real estate and multiple streams of income, and I think. You know you got to get it through your head that it's just taken lots of small steps and it just all starts to build on top of each other. And eventually, you know, you're you're way further than you ever would have imagined you'd
0: be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then we have a goal of like to help a thousand friends and family, you know, achieve financial freedom through passive investing. And so that's kind of one of the things is you know, through education and uh just helping people understand what this whole world is about. Obviously, we have a lot of you know, single family experience too. And so we, you know, we talk to people about how we've done some of the strategies and implemented that. And then on the multifamily, you know, what we've been doing. And it depends, like you were saying earlier, people are at different phases of their life and what their strategies are. And then, you know, we just try and educate people um, on on what we've learned and how we've implemented
1: certain things and and what we've learned along the way. Yeah. I like that too. You know, there's no limit to where you can go, but there might be a right place for you to start depending on what you've got and what you're able to do at that point in time. I know I started with a little over six thousand dollars, so I certainly wasn't investing in an apartment syndication at that point in time. Yeah, but you know, after a few years, I've been able to do apartment syndications, buy my own small apartments, you know, continue to house hack and save money. There's all different ways you can do it, you just got to start somewhere and keep moving forward.
0: Exactly. And then like the flipping is a way to, to generate some cash. Yeah. And then you could use that to invest in more long term things that, that, that provide you money over time, the quarterly payments uh, for, for passive. So there's different ways, you know, that you can you can do it um, with a limited amount of uh, funds up front um, and, and look at how you want to do that investing and what what matches where you're at in your phase and, and your, your income level, how much savings you have um, and where you want to go. But there, there's all kinds of things you can do in real estate, single family, multifamily. To, uh, to generate that capital that you need and and then partner with other people that have the capital too,
1: you know? Yeah, yeah. I think you, you talked a little bit about savings there. I think it's really important to learn how to manage your money and how to manage money when you're making money so you still have profit left to save to invest later. You know, a lot of people, I grew up in an area where a lot of people had a lot of money, but nobody really had any money at any sort of time. So yeah. it's easy to have a lot coming in have a leaky pail there where it's all just gone at the end of the month
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah the uh, related to that is like just paying
0: federal taxes right it's like wow it's just amazing when i look back at my career how much i've paid in federal taxes and and the last you know maybe 24 months i've been focused on how do i pay zero federal taxes legally of course Yeah. yeah and uh and you know like this cost segregation bonus depreciation or the 1031 tax deferred exchange all those kinds of things right like how could you you know invest in in an asset, like say real estate, and you have these like non-cash depreciation losses that would offset any income you're getting that year, it's like, oh, well, that's cool. And then with my wife becoming a real estate professional in 2020, then that means our federal taxes pay, we can offset some or all of that against um, all the depreciation losses on real estate, including doing the cost segregation on the investment property in the back house Um, So we, we hired an engineering company in December, did the cost segregation study. So all of that material other than the land, you know, you can pull forward the five and 15 year values of that to year one. And that's the bonus depreciation that we can use that loss to offset our income in 2020. So those kinds of things, but, you know, we, we paid a lot of money to hire great teams of people to help us between CPAs and lawyers and et cetera. So I just encourage people to, you know, to go hire some, some, some great team members to help you with your strategy and then, and then to take action, right. You know, it's, it's one of the things to, to listen to great podcasts like this to read lots of books but you at some point need to take action on your strategy yeah. and and that's one of the things we've been successful with is yeah there's some risk involved like you know buying a five hundred thousand tear down and having a big loan and hoping everything goes well um, but there's a little bit of risk that you take on some of these or or the the fix and flip like you're not always sure what you're going to find you know from the foundation issues on up and so mm-hmm. but but there's a little bit of risk involved it's just calculated risk. Um, having partners to help you assess the right risk and uh and but basically you know taking action on this journey.
1: Absolutely. There's so many resources out there now where you can help mitigate a lot of these risks that you have. Um, with, right. with anything there's risks in anything. There's risks in investing in the stock market, investing in real estate. You know, there's risk in saving your money. You know the risk yeah. money is not worth much after a few years here. So Yeah. Just make sure you understand what you're doing, and there's lots of resources to help figure that out. Yeah, you're losing out to inflation if you're putting it in a savings account today, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of theories about inflation here in the coming years. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, Jeff, uh, it sounds like you've been involved in a lot of different types of deals is there any piece of advice you could give people on investing in real estate on what to avoid or how to avoid a possible bad deal? Yeah. You know, I would say, like I mentioned before, having a good team of people, like
0: I almost invested in a deal that, uh, i i could have been burned by this deal but i uh you know on the advice of my wife i went to our lawyer our real estate lawyer had him look at the contract and he explained and he did some due diligence on the people involved and and so I ended up not doing that deal and that might have saved you know hundred thousand dollars so so there there was that um you know i, I think uh um just understanding like from a, a renter perspective like um, we believe in like third party property management, for like our long-term buy and hold rentals or for multifamily real estate. And, and so I would say, you know, look for companies that that, that that manage those kind of rentals, whether it's a duplex, a fourplex, a single family home, because um, we've used companies locally that specialize in that. Obviously, when you're dealing with 100 or 200 or 300 unit, it's a different type of property management company. But yeah. like, in my opinion, I mean, I'm just super busy with a W-2 job during the day. And so we hire out some of these activities um, to team members like third party property management. So I would encourage people to, to, to check on that. Um, and, and you know, just to make sure other people review the contracts so that you uh, you don't get burned. Um, and then, you know, I would just say, yeah, do more due diligence on the people that you're potentially a partnering with, whether it's a joint venture, whether you're outsourcing to a, a general contractor, you know, do some of the due diligence, follow up on the references, you know, look at um, some of the the deals they've developed. So if they say they've done a great job on uh, accessory dwelling units and main houses in Austin, go look at some of those properties, ask the, those contractor questions about how they're treated by the general contractor. And, and so, you know, those were some of the things to help um, prevent you know, let's say newer investors from getting burned. It's um, mm-hmm. to ask others for advice to bring, like we brought in more experienced people than us to walk through houses with us to say, hey, what do you think the rehab cost is going to be? Do you think this is a good deal? And some deals we passed on because we brought in more knowledgeable people. So we didn't go down uh, a path that seemed good to us being fairly new. And we brought in experienced people to go, oh yeah, you don't want a deal. Here's the three issues with this house that could cost you more than you could possibly make on this
1: flip. hmm yeah, and you brought up a few good points here. So, having somebody review contracts is really important if you're not an expert in contracts and you're looking to to sign on with a partner or, or, you know, just buy a certain property. You need somebody who's an expert to review that. But yeah, the the biggest one I think you talked about there is bringing in somebody reputable to verify rehab costs. I can't tell you how many deals I see where somebody says, "Oh, it's going to be 20 grand to rehab this." And I've seen that exact type of rehab done. I said, no, that's gonna be 60 grand to rehab that. There's no way. I don't know if 20 grand wouldn't even cover the materials in a lot of cases. Yeah. So, and when you're hiring contractors, you know, get a few referrals, you know, check out their past projects, check a couple people who they've worked with. I did that exact thing when I hired my last contractor and I've had a great experience with him. I saw his projects. I saw what he'd done. I talked to people he'd worked for. Um, he seemed like a great guy and it gave him the benefit of the doubt that I want to verify.
0: Right. Yeah, the other thing is too, like if you're doing the developer new construction route, it's one thing to say, hey, what's the price per square foot to build this? You know, it's another thing to say, what's the soft cost related to all the permitting, all the architecture, all the upfront, the demo costs? What are those? And then what's the general contractor fee like? I'm not gonna manage this stuff myself. I know some people that are good and they can do that, but I'm gonna pay a general contractor to manage everything. Well, what's that fee, right? Is it a percentage? is it a fixed fee, you know, and what are the terms with that. So you've got to factor all of that in when you come up with your your total cost. And so yes. some of that stuff I learned along the way, there wasn't like a great book or some blog I can read and uh I didn't get burned, you know, very badly, but you know, it's one of those things bringing in expert people, asking all the right questions, coming up with a total budget estimate, and factoring all of that in, because you could easily, you know, gloss over, oh, I didn't know the GCP was 15 or 20% of the total, and and then are they making money off of the materials, or is it the cost plus, you know, what does that look like? So, all of those things, um, you know, I think bringing experienced people in to help you. And mentor you to look over your shoulder to, to review the contracts to review the budgets and to ask all of those questions uh, along with you doing some of your own due diligence will, will help uh, save people money um, but uh, yeah i would encourage them to uh to, to basically you know take action but you do need to be educated and, and have a right team around you so you don't make a, a large mistake on on some of these
1: deals yeah yeah and you, you talked about materials versus labor there too and the contractors margins I didn't learn all that stuff for a few years after doing multiple projects with multiple contractors um, where I started pricing out the materials and saying, oh, well, you know, this window's 150 bucks and you're charging me 550 to put it in? You know, where's the labor here? How long does that take you? And and the more you do due diligence on that stuff and good professionals aren't going to mind you asking those questions because they feel okay with the bids they're giving you. But, you know, if you're, The material's 200 bucks, and you're getting charged 400 bucks to install it. You need to understand why. Maybe it does take six hours to install. You don't know that. Yeah. But it it might not. You might not need a permit. And they might say, oh, I got to do all this and that. And you you really need to figure those things out before you start doing these bigger jobs and paying people. Or, like you said, find somebody who knows that stuff and come in and tell you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really important. Awesome, Jeff. So I think we've covered a lot here. Is there any specific advice you'd give to investors, like one thing you think newer investors should know before they get started?
0: You know, I mean, I would say uh, self-education is key and surrounding yourself with knowledgeable team members. And for some people, that may mean uh, signing up and joining uh, maybe local real estate investment groups Um, uh, joining other mentoring groups, it may cost a little bit of money up front, but it could make you a lot more money down the road. So those would be some of the areas, you know, that I think I've learned from over the last, you know, four plus years of trying to ramp up, you know, real estate pretty quickly. Um, And then I think, you know, when you have a good deal, oftentimes you will find the money from others. So that's where taking action. So even though, you may not have the down payment or uh, enough money to do the rehab. There, There's plenty of money out there from others. So kind of using other people's money is a great strategy, you know, within reason, right? You got to yeah. be careful of the debt.
1: Yeah, um, I think that's great advice. You know, fo- focus on finding good deals and you're not going to have any problem finding the money for it. You know, if you're a part of, let's say, the investor underground here in Austin, if you find a good deal and you post it on the investor underground, you're going to find the money for it exactly no problem yeah and then people are willing to
0: negotiate on hey what's the split you maybe you start at 5050 mm-hmm. you end at 60 40 on either and so there's on um, all kinds of uh, people are wanting to deploy money you know it's this whole recycling their money and the velocity mm-hmm. of money they want to yeah. keep it in the market they want to help other people so you know we've helped other uh, flippers here in Austin and, and so i yeah, I think you know for those those good deals um, there's there's always capital out there that you can find um and then you you kind of refinance into permanent financing after you get done with that rehab phase
1: yeah no i think that was something i was on a a slight tirade about recently even was that i I don't need money people call me all the time say hey you know i've got this money can i invest with you i don't need money i need deals you know if you've got a good deal call me but yeah i'm not in a position right now where my problem is finding money i'm able to find the money really easily it's the deals that are harder to find. Right. So, you know, yeah, go out, find the deals. I think that's the best thing you could do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. All right. Um, What's your best advice for people looking to invest in Austin? So maybe they're investing passively. Maybe they're also, they're just looking to do more active, like what you're doing too. Yeah. Um, What's your best advice there?
0: You know, I think it's uh, depending on their level of sophistication. Um, you know, there's a strategy you know that's called subject two, um, and mm-hmm. and it's basically before there there's a short sale on a property where there's a, a borrower in a single family home in the Austin area that uh, is maybe in forbearance, they're not able to make um, their mortgage payment, uh, but they're also not being evicted because of the laws we have in place right now, yeah. in regulation. And so um, so one strategy for a more savvy investor could be looking at the, the subject to basically, um, you know, catching up on the payments um, and then having that person move out, but they still stay on the loan, and you bring in renters. So you know that's mm-hmm. one strategy. I think you know the development, especially on these infield lots in the in the, uh, the city of Austin, East Austin. I think you know the land obviously is only going to get more expensive, um, mm-hmm. and, and so I think partnering with other people that know what they're doing to come buy you know some of these infield lots and to do the development. For some people, you know, um, you know that would be a good strategy, and for others. You know, you may find some affordable areas where they can afford a down payment and then turn that into a long term rental house and have some cash flow and then also a benefit from the appreciation of that. And so some people are more comfortable you know, with that. And then there's different types. Some could be turnkey where some flippers already done that. So they might pay a little bit more retail or there could be a wholesale opportunity where they get on wholesaler lists. And then they work with people to rehab the house and then put renters in. So, yeah, there's a few things, you know, that people could uh, could use here in the city of Austin, depending on their experience level and their network. But uh, but yeah, uh, you know, Investor Underground is a good one. And uh, some of the, the, the Austin uh, Real Estate Investor Association, there's other um, good groups out there to go reach out to and to partner. I would just say, you know, um, look for experienced people to partner with and then
1: work on your overall strategy and then and then go execute that. Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned the meetup groups and stuff. There's lots more of those. You know, we're February 2021 here right now, still dealing with coronavirus stuff. But people are starting to meet in person. Yeah. Um, and when you're looking to partner with someone, you know, you guys said, "Hey, we've got the money." I know you've got the deal. I want to do the deal? Figure out what you can offer to somebody if you're looking to partner. You know, maybe you have the money. You know, you offer the money. Maybe you've yeah. got the deal. You know, you say, "Hey, I've got this great deal. I need mm-hmm. money to fund it." So just figure out what you can offer. And I think, you know, if you can't offer either of those, you can go find the deal. Um, lots of people reach out to me and want to learn or want to work. And I just don't, I don't know what to do with them because yeah. they don't say, Hey, I've got this and I, I want to help you do this. They just say, Hey, I want to help. And that, that doesn't help a lot. So if you're looking to get started in real estate, you know, find, find what you can do. Maybe you're great at, money raising or you're great at finding deals or you're great at maybe you're great at the labor and all that, you know, who knows? There's not a wrong way to get into it, but there's a right match for whoever. Yeah. Yeah. You got to bring value to the team, you know, whether
0: the value is your time or your money or your experience. Mm -hmm. So there's some people that could be great marketing people in some other industry. They can apply that to real estate. They bring that to the table. They work on the flyers, they get mailed out, right. Or someone that's great at social media, then they help develop social media and then that's their value to the team. Other people maybe bring capital, bring money. Other people, uh, this is their job as full-time real estate and they have time, but they don't have the capital. And so I think that's what you're trying to do is is to assemble a team. Team that has a, a good variety of those,
1: those assets and skills uh, and that have a, a common strategy. Absolutely. So, you already mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I hear that a ton. Um, what do you have any other favorite business or mindset books? You know, the other one is like a Cash Flow
0: Quadrant, you know, yeah. uh, from Kiyosaki Absolutely. that came after that. So, to me, that's a, a really good one. I think The One Thing from Gary Keller is good. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, there's, uh, there's some, some good reading lists out there of things. Let me see what else I have up here. Uh yeah, I got Tax Free Wealth. I've got Advanced Guide to Real Estate Investing. Um yeah, so uh and then the you know the 4-hour work week from Tim Ferriss who lives here in Austin now. So that's a,
1: you know, a, a good book um, as well. Awesome. Yeah, lots of great books, especially that Rich Dad series. There's tons of great books there. Um you're going to like some more than others, but I think you know, everybody should start with Rich Dad Poor Dad and then Cash flow quadrant is a great place to go right after that.
0: Yeah, exactly, and that's what made me start thinking about you know multiple streams of income moving over to the investor side from the employee side. So that that mm-hmm. certainly helped you know motivate me and and to help me crystallize you know a strategy
1: of you know financial freedom. Absolutely. So Jeff, um, how can people get a hold of you and learn more about what you're doing, or how can they work with you right now? Yeah, you
0: bet. So uh, you can go to the mckeecapitalgroup.com. So it's m-c-k-e-e capitalgroup.com, and that's basically um, to to help people get educated on uh, real estate investing. So um, so they can go to that website, uh, and then in, in some cases we have uh, you know more deals than we have capital, but we want to help people develop those multiple streams of income um, to become limited partners in some of these uh, some of these deals.
1: Awesome. And you'd mentioned something about a book you're working on here.
0: Yeah. Early. So early in April of 2021, um, you should be able to go to Amazon and look for a book called Bringing Value, Solving Problems and Leaving a Legacy. So I have a, a chapter in this book about real estate investing, single family and multifamily. There's about 30 authors, but it's going to be yeah on Amazon. So yeah, Bringing Value, Solving Problems and Leaving
1: a Legacy is the title of the book. Awesome. We'll have everybody look out for that book. And what's the the best ways they can get a hold of you? Is it just the website and Yeah, just go to the
0: mckeecapitalgroup.com and then you'll have a, a contact form. You can reach out to me, and then what I typically do is set up uh, you know one on one calls with people. You know, fifteen minute, thirty minute calls just to get to know one another, understand strategy, see how I can help out, see if there's a good fit there. Um, so that's uh, that's the best way.
1: Awesome, and we'll put all that in the show notes for everybody here too. But um, KeyCapitalGroup Jeff. Last question, probably most important question we have here. What's your favorite restaurant in Austin?
0: Yeah, you know our go-to here in South Austin is Mattel Rancho. So, um, so yeah, just uh, remember the knockout margaritas. There's a limit of two. You know, you can <laughs> order the small bob or the large bob to start with. So some queso. So it's uh, it's really good. And and even though it's a, a Mexican, you know. It's been around since like 1954. We usually order like their black and red fish. So uh, yeah, their food is really good. They have great outdoor patio seating, even when it's cold. They'll have the heaters, and so it's a good you know COVID-friendly
1: type uh, restaurant. But yeah, Mattel rancho Awesome. Well, I have not been there. I should go check it out. I've heard it a bunch of times too. Um, so absolutely, will be on my list of places to go here soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great place on South Lamar. Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on here today. Again, uh, we will have all of Jeff's contact info in the show notes and keep a lookout for his book on Amazon. Really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you, Jordan. All right, you have a great day. All right, you too.